Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Most countries have laws. Um, for the most part, the criminal statutes within a country tell you what not to do. And the punishment for what happens if you do those things. Um, they're quite explicit and quite technical as to defining crimes and explaining what happens if you commit those crimes. Um, you could call it a shariat of criminal conduct. In religion, there's also a set of laws. Each one of the religions has a code of conduct and a code of how and what you're supposed to do in certain circumstances. And a lot of it has to do with the specific rituals within that religion. For instance, in Islam, there's a methodology for prayer. And that methodology is explained. As a matter of fact, there are five different schools that explain five different but similar ways of conducting the prayer. And before you do the prayer, there's an ablution. And there are specific instructions as to how to do the ablution. And in all of the religions, there are specific instructions as how to pray, when to pray, what to pray about, and how to act. Sufism is an attempt to take all of this to another level. Allah is constant in his way. Allah doesn't change. Allah is an amalgam of all of his qualities, which all function simultaneously and together at once, and different aspects of his qualities come to the forefront, but each one of them contains all the others. So, whatever quality seems to be in play at the moment, we have to remember and understand that all of the other qualities are in play with that quality at the same time. So, if justice is being handed out, that justice also has mercy in it. That justice also has compassion in it. That justice 
also has gratitude in it. That justice also has the greatness of Allah's power. So, these things don't act individually. They act in unison, but different portions are at the forefront at different times. Now, within Sufism, there are states of progress. And those states are known as Shariat, Tariqat, Hakikat, and Marifat. The different levels of progression as a being. And what do these different levels of progression indicate? They indicate various degrees of closeness to Allah. Shariat being at the beginning level, Tariqat being at the level where you make a purposeful determination to get to know the Haq, the reality. Hakikat being a place where your relationship with truth and reality become strong and marifat where you begin to disappear into truth and reality something like the levels of wisdom the first level is discernment where you begin to realize that the world is false and the world is an illusion and you take a stand to try and go beyond the world and beyond the understandings that the world gives you. Wisdom is the beginning of the journey into the tarikat. Divine wisdom takes you to the hakikat. Divine luminous wisdom takes you to marifat and finality, fana the disappearance, or sufiat. Now, in order to make these steps of progress from shariat to tariqat to hakikat to marifat, knowledge alone is not sufficient. You can't become truth just by being able to recite definitions of truth. What you become if you recite definitions of things is a scholar. And a Sufi isn't a scholar. A Sufi is someone who is those definitions as opposed to someone who recites those definitions. There's a big difference between being and reciting. There's a big difference between memorization and being. There are people who have memories where they can bring up whatever it is they saw or heard or whatever it is they read. That doesn't mean 
that they know anything. That just means they have a very powerful memory and or mind, and they're able to repeat and reiterate that which they see and hear or read. But that doesn't mean they can become what they see or hear or read. Now, of course, we're influenced by what we see or hear or read, and depending where our education comes from, we take on different aspects. If our education comes from the world, we take on aspects of the world. If our education comes from Hak, the truth, reality, then we take on aspects of reality. The problem for most people is there are many more teachers in the world that teach the world than there are teachers who teach Hak, who teach the truth, who teach reality. And it's very hard to find a teacher who teaches reality. A teacher who teaches reality doesn't necessarily have a PhD. He doesn't have a degree confirmed on him by an institution. His degree is confirmed on him by the station that he resides in. By the station that he is. He is a teacher of the truth, not because he's read about the truth, but because he is living the truth. He is not justice because he's read about justice. He is justice because he lives justice. In the Supreme Court in the United States, we have a bench with nine people on it. And they are referred to as justice. Now, it's interesting because the views of these nine justices are very different one from the other. So the question is, which one is justice and which one is the opposing opinion? Uh, fair question. <laughs> but what's the answer? They're all called justice. In truth, justice is truth. And to earn the name of justice or to earn the station of justice, to be in the station of justice, you have to be justice. You have to be truth. You have to actually reside there, and it can't be a part-time vocation. It can't be an off-and-on situation. It can't be some of the time. It can't be when the circumstances suit you, or the surroundings suit you, or the company suits you. Love has to be maintained, period. Without exceptions, without buts, and on a constant 
reiteration of truth. How do we get there? How do we get to the point where we become real in our quest for reality? When is it that we become constant, consistent, unalterable, unmovable, unshakable, where we can no longer be pushed around by the world because we have come to the place where our residence is not with illusion, is not with maya, is not with karma, is not with egoism, is not with arrogance, but lies with Allah, lies with the truth, where the influences of karma, maya, egoism, and arrogance no longer have an effect on us. Bawa describes karma, maya, and egoism as gigantic entities larger than mountains more powerful than imagination which cannot be destroyed with ordinary weapons they can only be attacked through abandonment so engagement is not what destroys them you can't kill arrogance with arrogance you can't kill karma with karma you can't <clears throat> kill maya with maya you can't kill illusion with illusion the only way that you can destroy these giants that control the world the illusory world is through your own faith determination and certitude through residing in a belief system that does not give credence that does not give validity to karma maya and arrogance that does not allow them to have influence on you and when that's done then you can become justice you can become truth but as long as there is worldly motive self motive self need desire that needs to be fulfilled animosities that exist because of arrogance you can't be the truth because there's motive Allah doesn't have motives Allah is truth is love is kindness and is here to assist and help you he doesn't need help he doesn't need anything he doesn't need the world to make him 
greater. He is the greatest. Allahu Akbar. He is beyond needs. We, on the other hand, fluctuate in our state of need. Sometimes we are incredibly needy, and sometimes we aren't needy. Um, Interestingly enough, when people are arrogant, they don't feel needy. They feel in control. But what they're missing is that their arrogance is consuming everything around them. And like fire, they constantly need things to consume. So fire feels very much in control until it hits a barrier where there's a lake or a river or they've cut through the trees and they have nothing to burn. Then all of a sudden, ah! Nothing to burn. Nothing to consume. That which thought it needed nothing realizes it needs things to consume. And without that, it can't exist. Because it dies. The fire dies. And for a lot of people, when their arrogance has nowhere to position itself, they die. Because their life has been arrogance. Their life has been consumption. Consumption of others. In truth, when the Sufi tariqats existed and existed uh, with the rules and regulations of the way they were, there was a testing period when people entered into a tariqat. And in that testing period, essentially, they were looked at as to their behavior. And a word was developed, adeb, which means appropriate behavior. Uh, something like chivalry. In the times of uh, the stories about King Arthur, one of the requisites of being a knight in King Arthur's court is you had to be chivalrous. You had to have a certain way of acting. And if you couldn't act that way, you could not be a member of that circle. And it was the same way in the Tarikats. If your actions couldn't be appropriate within the circle of brothers, you couldn't be allowed into the circle of brothers, and you were removed. When I say brothers, I mean brothers and sisters. Maybe I'll just say that. In the circle of brothers and sisters. Now, in this world, there are few places where you can go to that when people walk into the room, everyone greets everyone else. When you walk into the room, everyone gives greetings of peace to everyone else. Everyone smiles at everyone else, and everyone 
means it. Now, when we can enter into that kind of a circle of friends, when we can enter into that kind of a circle of brothers and sisters, change can occur. It's like a petri dish for the qualities of Allah. When fear is removed from the equation, lots of other things can flourish very easily. When you know that everyone has your back, qualities that belong to Allah can grow very easily. So, we have to understand that there is a shariat, not just to stay out of trouble with the law, but a shariat for tariqat, and a shariat for hakikat, and a shariat for marifat. In other words, there's a code of conduct for each level that you go through as you become closer to Allah. There's a code of conduct before wisdom, and there's a code of conduct when you touch wisdom. And if this code of conduct doesn't exist, you can't touch wisdom. And then, there's a next code of conduct for divine wisdom. Wisdom's code of conduct isn't powerful enough to touch divine wisdom. And that means that unless you enter into the code of conduct for divine wisdom, you can't be there. Because, again, it's not about describing the code of conduct. It's about being the code of conduct. And there's another code of conduct for divine luminous wisdom, for marifat. Things change in you and then you change as to the areas that you're allowed to be in. These are automatic things. You can't be wise unless you are merciful. Can't happen. You can't be wise unless you have justice. Can't happen. You can't be wise as long as you are consumed by desire and self-motive. It can't happen. You can't be wise as long as you treat the ones who are close to you different than the ones you don't know. As long as you make distinctions between race, color, creed, religion, sex. You can't enter into wisdom. God created all of creation. He didn't create sections, and he didn't abandon sections. He provided air for everybody. He provides water for everybody. He provides life to everybody. And he gives life and takes life as he sees fit. But he takes it with justice, and he gives it with justice. And what does Allah expect from the beggar? And what does Allah expect from the king? He expects the same thing. Everything. He expects you to give up 
everything. He expects you to surrender to him. No matter what your worldly titles are, no matter what your worldly status is, no matter what your worldly wealth is. So, our status is not what we can accumulate. Our status comes from what we can surrender. So, in the world of Maya, status is through accumulation. In the world of reality, status is by way of surrender. So, if you give up arrogance, you become closer to Allah. If you give up your belief in illusion, you become closer to Allah. If your desires from the world go away from you, you become closer to Allah. But in the world, if your desires are great, you become more powerful. If your arrogance is great, you become more powerful. If your power is great or your fame is great, you become more powerful in the world of dunya. The opposite happens in the world of reality. Yet, this world teaches you to become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. There's the story of uh, two frogs who... uh, were in competition and they're bullfrogs and they run at each other and as they come close one opens up its mouth to try to swallow the other frog and the other frog which as bullfrogs do expands so one frog keeps opening its mouth larger and larger and the other frog keeps expanding and expanding and expanding until they both blow up and that's what happens in the world You're either trying to consume or you're trying to get bigger. Consuming and getting bigger. Consuming and getting bigger. Just because we realize that it is a game that can't be won doesn't mean that we've done anything about it. I was a fool. Good. You know you were a fool. Does that mean you're not a fool now? Not necessarily. (laughs) And that's the part that needs to be understood. Most people, the vast majority of people, stop at, my God, I was a fool. As if that's some sort of enlightenment. It's the same as running your toe into the bed at night and going, my God, that hurts. My God, my life hurts. It's been lived inappropriately. Okay. You go back to bed. You wake up the next morning. You start doing the same stuff all over again. And then you go to bed again. And you start doing the same stuff all over again. The difference is that sometime during the day you said, my God, the things I'm doing are so foolish. And then you keep repeating them. That's why in the Sufi circles they had a certain manner in which you had to act. And if you couldn't act within 
the realm of that kind of courtesy or that kind of chivalry, you weren't allowed to be a member of the Brotherhood any longer. But even with that, there were still fights and problems within Sufis. Some beyond the ability to understand. And what I noticed is that the people who see divisions can't see beyond divisions because the divisions become incredibly important to them and maintaining divisions becomes incredibly important to them. So, I'm different than you are and because of my differences, I am better than you are. So, we come down to the need for separation. And in truth, separation separates you from Allah. And as long as you have separations in the world and divisions in the world and differences in the world, you have differences and separations with Allah. And somehow, these differences have to be done away with. Somehow, these divisions have to be done away with. Somehow, we have to become less arrogant, less egotistical, and we have to surrender our self-motive. We have to surrender our self-motive to the point where we can treat other people as ourselves. We have to surrender our self-motive to the point where we can feel other hunger as our own. And if we don't do these things, there is no accomplishment. Bawa said that if you can't give up arrogance during Ramadan, Allah doesn't need you from fast from food. So, you need to be able to give up lots of things all at once. The fasting from food is at the forefront of the example of the things that you need to give up. But, there are lots of things that we need to give up. And there are lots of qualities that we have to leave and lots of different qualities that we have to become involved in. While we are in the midst of mind and desire in the world of illusion, we are subject to the hypnotisms and the magnetisms and the glitters of the world. And we run around chasing them as if upon catching them there will be a change in our life. Do you think that your life will last any longer if you have a million dollars in the bank or if you have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank or if you have twenty dollars in the bank? Do you think the qualities that are within you are going to improve because of fame, status, money, and women? How many despotic kings were there who had control over everything, yet were despised 
by the people and in truth lived cursed lives. There was a great conqueror who came to a city and he began to listen to the names that the people had and uh, he heard names like Abdullah. Uh, and he began to understand that people's names in this part of the world were associated with God. And he wanted a name associated with God. So he asked all the wise men of the village, the area, to come together and to give him an appropriate name that was associated with God. Uh, now, the wise men all got together after this request was made, and they appointed one man to give him the name, uh, the wisest among them. His name was Hoja Nasruddin. And the Hoja came before... Uh, uh, this uh, despotic ruler and he says I've written the name of God on a piece of paper and I've put it in this envelope and I'm going to give it to you now you can't open it for three days because if you open it before three days the power of the name will disappear so you have to keep it with you but don't open it for three days he gave him the envelope and then I got on a horse and left. In three days, he was far enough away that nobody knew where he was. And the despotic king opened the envelope. And it had a name of God on, in it. God forbid. <laughs> now, the king got what he wanted. But, of course, he didn't understand what he wanted. He didn't understand what he needed. And he didn't understand his own nature and how a name with God in it wouldn't be appropriate. But now, in certain parts of the world, all names have God in it. Maybe in the hope that people will become godly, but not necessarily the result that's gotten. The result is gotten through surrender. The result is gotten through giving up the world. We have within us something that has been put in each of us by Allah. And it's been covered up by the world. It's been covered up by desire. It's been covered up by our needs. We need to change the spectrum of our needs. We have to stop needing the world and we have to start needing God. And the way we do it is becoming grateful for each breath. Grateful each time we open our eyes. Grateful for each step that we take. We have to be grateful for all that we are given. And we have to be satisfied and when we become grateful and satisfied and we become less and less desirous we become more involved with others 
and we become more godlike towards others. The Pope just came out with a statement that says anything that you do that doesn't help others is without much use. No matter if you sleep on the floor, no matter if you use a brick for your pillow, no matter if you fast day and night, unless what you're doing is helping somebody else, it's not of much use. God doesn't sleep on bricks. But God helps constantly. God gives constantly. Mercy is God's nature. Compassion is God's nature. What is our nature? Do we spend time thinking about what our nature is? Are we happy when our feet are warm and depressed when our feet are cold? Are we happy when we are praised and unhappy when we are blamed? Or have we become numb to the world? Have we become like wood, where magnets no longer pull us? Have we become attuned to the resonance and the vibration of Allah? Or are we attuned to the magnetisms and resonance of the world? Where are we in our lives? Where do we want to be in our lives? What's the purpose of our existence? And where do we want to put ourselves? We've all listened to a wise man for many, many years. What's the effect that it's had on us? Have we gone beyond the point of saying, my God, I'm foolish? Or are we still there after 20 years or 30 years? Have we realized we're foolish and done nothing about it? The time for action is now. The time for love is now. The time for gratitude is now. The time for mercy is now. There is no other time. All that exists is now. And if we can't do it now, we can never do it. Because the only time we live in is now. There is no future, there is no past, there is only now. And now we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision to accumulate or to surrender. We have to make a decision for arrogance or for mercy. And these decisions are constantly made. And we have to be careful every moment that we don't revert. That we stay within mercy. That we stay within love. And that we stay within compassion. Because we are constantly going to be tested by people who have been overcome by Satan, (coughs) whose purpose is to somehow make us different, to make us revert 
through treachery, through fraud, through all kinds of things. Can we maintain our position within Allah? Can we maintain our mercy? Or are we fickle to the truth? Do we give up when things become difficult? And do we revert to aggression? Because what the world does when the world finds difficulty is it reverts to aggression. Things are constantly reverting to aggression. The weapons are getting larger and larger and more and more injurious to the entire planet. But people keep reverting to aggression. Can we stay in love and maintain love in the face of aggression? Can we abide in love? Can we maintain love? And I'm talking about our daily circumstances. What it is that we go through. What is enough for us to become mean? What is enough for us to become bullies? What is enough to change us from love to aggression? And how steady are we? in love. We have to take our love temperature every day. And if that temperature is too low, we have to do something to increase it. And we have to purposefully do what we can to increase our love. It won't just change us. It'll change everybody around us. And it'll change the world. Watch, and I'm sure you've all seen this, what a loving mother does to a baby and what a hateful mother does to a baby. If you need any more proof than that, you don't understand the nature of existence. A loving mother can produce a loving child. A hateful mother produces a hateful child. We need to become people who induce love into the world. And we do it by becoming lovers and staying as lovers in all circumstances. May Allah give us the strength to be able to do that. May he take us on his straight path so that when things get tough, we love more. That we are the ones who are the examples for humanity and examples for each other on how to love and how to be representatives of Allah. May Allah be your portion. Ameen. Ameen. Ya Rabbi Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa